somewhat in NFL highlights has it in for the Vikings for sure. Up shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We choose in the books again some upsets, particularly for my boys. Pour one out. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, guys? How is Cork? Grand, yeah. Not much going on. I've been reading an interesting book about the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Say Nothing It's Called by Patrick Ryden Keith. Even though it's written by an American, it's actually quite good at kind of capturing the whole thing. Turns out Jerry Adams, terrible human being on, on all accounts. I'm definitely in the raw. Definitely. Come at me, Jerry. Come at me. <laughs> me. Me and Fitz are too good. Are you, you sure know? you want to make that challenge, Sean? I don't know. We're too, good, uh, we're too like. good border border county lads. We know to keep shtum. Like, we don't say shit like that. How about yourself, Fitz? Any crack? No, we're uh, about a week out from releasing our, our new project. Once that's done, then everything's everything's in play. You have a fun October lined up, but for this week uh, at least, it's still old uh, workaround. Very fun. Yeah, we've done signed contracts on a house, so we should be getting keys next week, all going to plan, and that will presumably dominate most of what I'll be doing for the next while. Uh, but obviously, we've got some fun bits planned in October as well as more things open up, and we head out to take uh, all four quarters on the road to London, which we haven't done for a while now. But before that, I suppose we should hop into the news from this week. Yeah, we'll start with again. It's probably a bit injury heavy, but uh, that's the majority of what's happening this early on in the season. So there's a couple of these will be quite high impact. Uh, Houston quarterback Tyrod Taylor has injured his hamstring and he's gone for two to six weeks they've been a surprise package so far this team this year with Houston actually being competitive games and winning a game and taking their previous one pretty close as well Tyrod looking very good in his first game less so in this one but obviously the injury then caught in I don't really know how to reflect on what this means for Houston because I still don't really understand this Houston team who's the backup Davis Mills they, they drafted him with their first pick in the draft this year which was round three he looked okay when he came in. He did throw a bad enough pick, but compared to what you might get out of a guy just off the bench as a rookie, I and mean, it wasn't the worst, but I think it's still definitely a big loss. I think Tyrod was really appreciating like what was probably going to be one last opportunity to be a starter in the NFL. He was being very efficient, as we expect. He still seemed to have the legs to kind of be a threat on the ground, and he got his revenge in inverted commas against Cleveland. Seemed to be relatively pleased with, with that, uh, albeit, albeit in a very respectful way. So I think for Houston, it's a very you know, random team at the moment in terms of how it's being constructed and how they've been playing. But I definitely think that Tyrod was a major step over what they'll probably get out of Davis Mills. Look, given how much they've surprised so much uh, thus far this season, um, you can't count that the Davis Mills might end up being a revelation and they continue to be more spicy than we expected. Because we we're not going to discuss that game at length. You saw the very confusing coaching decision that was made in that game, right? There was a penalty on a play and it was either going to be third and ten or fourth and two. And they decided to decline the penalty and take fourth and two and then proceeded to punt the ball. He didn't take a penalty that would give them a shot on third down. Then you went, okay, short distance, he's just going to go for it, and then just punted it. It was a very... I've, I've, I've rewatched it to see if there was a context for it, and I still can't understand what was going through the mind. I imagine it was just a mistake that they just didn't realise or something, but yeah, very, very confusing. Houston, you are an enigma. Uh, Chicago quarterback Andy Dalton has a bone bruise on both his knees, I believe, and he's now week to week. Nagy is not coming out and confirming that they're going to be giving the starting job away. Like, Look, it's bad that Andy Dalton is injured and so on, but 
to be honest, we were expecting a story like this at some point in the next couple of weeks to be like, Andy Dalton's not 100%, so they're going to move to the rookie, but it's not a demotion. It's because of an injury, like a phantom injury. I was expecting a story like that to be coming out, and I got to imagine Chicago fans are just quite pumped to not have the red rifle there and to get to see what they've got in the rookie. You kind of felt that their entire season was in a holding pattern until Justin Fields came in. So, I mean, I imagine this will be the opportunity to, to give him a game or two. And then I think they do have a decision. I mean, I don't think the Chicago coaching team is all, is completely done with Dalton. I think they still see him as a safe pair of hands and they're probably not willing to take the risk yet. But certainly it's a tryout for, for Fields to see how well he does. And I mean, hopefully for the Bears, he, he steps in and takes it long term because it sounds like he's the future of that franchise. And the sooner they get there, the better all round. Indianapolis have dropped a quarterback as well. Carson Wentz has injured both his ankles. Having made it back from the injury for the start of the season, he's now going to be likely gone next week. We said week to week is the expectation, but I would I'd be amazed if he was playing this week, let's be honest. So Indianapolis, again, just kind of returned to another team that's kind of performed a little bit better maybe than we thought two weeks ago, but are still kind of enigma. I would expect that by the back half of the season, we'll be sitting well in the bottom quadrant. Wentz has been better than maybe our very low expectations. He certainly looks like someone who was playing, who understood that this was very possibly his last chance to be a starter in the NFL under someone that he trusted in Frank Reich. He, he's been trying a lot, perhaps trying a bit too much, kind of getting himself clattered a bit more than he, he perhaps needed to. And the, oh, through two games, that's cumulatively led to a, you know, both ankles being sprained. And yeah, like, look, we've seen players sometimes play through sprains. Um, you can do that at quarterback, like uh, compared to, say, some other positions like running back or cornerback where that would be a bigger issue. But it definitely affects your mobility. And we obviously have seen that when Carson Wentz is forced to be a statue in the pocket when he's been injured in the past, things have not gone very well for him. But if you're the Colts, you got Jacob Eason in there, who's a kind of a old school kind of tall pocket passer statue in the pocket. And he threw a pick in his second throw. So I think if Carson Wentz can play, there's a decent chance that they will try to get him to play because I think he certainly looks better than the alternative at the moment. Again, Miami quarterback issues too. Tonga Vailoa has injured his rib and he's now going to be week to week. They said that they don't expect it to be anything that would hold on for too long in the season, but it may missing a week or two. Two has not looked phenomenal so far in what we've seen of him this season. And to be honest, Miami looked completely lost in this game. I don't think they put any points up at all. But yeah, you gotta you got to worry for this Miami team and whether or not they're going to start looking around and tour replacements if he is under performance and injury issues which I think is it, it sounds harsh on a second year player who didn't even start the season last year but you know yourself it's short shelf life in modern day NFL two weeks into let's give Tua the the whole thing let's get rid of Fitzmagic and just go with him and suddenly it does seem the the wheels have come off a bit I mean I, I'm like you Connor I haven't been sold on him so far I don't think he's going to turn out to be anything more than a game manager I don't think he's ex- as explosive as perhaps we were promised coming out of college. I mean, Miami's problem is that the backup is Jacoby Brissett, who, I mean, he's basically proven that he's not starter caliber at the NFL, yeah. that he's a decent backup and useful in certain emergency situations, but he's not a long-term answer. So, yeah, they, they're stuck with Tua until they find something better. I mean, I don't think this injury is going to derail him from where he was, but if the Dolphins start losing games, they could very quickly find themselves well behind not only in their division, but also, I mean, the AFC is the tough of the two conferences as well. And mm. you'd think that they'd be chasing a playoff spot, but, I mean, not in the form that they've been showing, certainly this week and even the week before they weren't 
particularly fantastic. Pittsburgh Blues Edge defender TJ Watt, who just signed that big deal to a groin injury. He's week to week. He played in this game and played fairly well in this game until he was injured. Deontay Johnson, their wide receiver, has injured his knees also week to week. And their defensive tackle, Tyson Alalu, has done his ankle and is gone for the season. A lot of pieces there, particularly given this is a team that is driven entirely, let's be frank, by its defense. TJ Watt's their best player. He's out for a week or two. Like, rotation on that defensive line is also quite important because it's kind of a pressure to get the get the backs into playing type scheme. This is obviously a hit and it means that this is the time that you want to be hitting Pittsburgh if you're going to have to play them, right? Look, TJ Watt is a really, really good player. He's obviously the highest played defensive player in the league at the moment. And I think for Pittsburgh, we kind of see that their offense right now is a bit iffy. Uh, I think Big Ben has a, a peck injury, though it's not like to miss, cause him to miss any time. So that makes you even more dependent on the defense itself. And look, even on the offense, Deontay Johnson has probably been their most uh, consistent receiver. Chase Claypool is more explosive, but Deontay Johnson's kind of the go that got a guy who uh, Ben has gone to. And then Tyson Lalu, yeah, you lose a bit on the uh, defensive line rotation. So look, I think Pittsburgh, they're kind of in a weird place right now. They're obviously too well a coach the team and they have enough talent that they're not going to collapse. But these are the kind of injuries that could lead to them losing a game or two that they can't afford to lose when they're in a division with two, uh, you know, very good teams. Three very good teams, actually, I suppose, based on the actual records. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how they get on without TJ Watt if he misses time. Cleveland wide receiver Jarvis Landry has injured his MCL and he's going to be gone for two to four weeks. Obviously, they are a run-first team, so there's less of an impact. And they would be hoping to have OBJ coming back into the lineup uh, as there's still a little bit of lack of clarity over what his injury situation is. So hopefully he'll be able to step in and provide coverage for this on a brand seem to have quite high expectations this season but two to four weeks look better to get it out of the way now than to have it happen whenever you're heading into the playoffs I suppose and hope that it doesn't come back in at that point Philly have had a couple of big season enders so their age defender Brandon Graham has done his Achilles and he's gone for the season and offensive lineman Brandon Books has done his peck so he's gone for three to six weeks but that is one that can linger if it, if it hangs around for a bit so tough times for Philly who were I believe, as we were saying last week, probably the hope for the number two team to push back at Dallas in that division. Jarvis Lander, I think he's been put on short-term IOR. I think that means he misses at least three three weeks, but yeah. uh, I don't think he's expected to be gone beyond that unless the injury turns out to be worse than expected. I think Brandon Graham's seen a really important piece for an Eagles line that's very much in a rebuild in terms of what they've been doing uh, in this offseason and have generally been playing okay. The defense hasn't really been a problem for that team. And Brandon Brooks is obviously probably, you know, up there with the best offensive lineman that they have. And so it's a big loss there. And we kind of saw that the, you know, Jalen Hurts, when, when the pressure was on and when they were trying to get some short yardage situations done, really, really struggled. And so that's definitely not going to help with that situation. But like, we'll, we'll see with Philly. They're an interesting team right now, but that's two fairly significant losses that they have to carry for at least a month in the case of Brandon Brooks and for the season in terms of Graham. No, of course. And uh, other random bits of news around the league. In-season Hard Knocks is going to follow Indianapolis. I'm not sure I'm mad interested in this, to be honest. <laughs> it's not exactly yeah. the most compelling group at the moment to be watching. They, they've kind of took the brand of Hard Knocks and turned it into the All or Nothing series, which mm-hmm. was believed by Amazon. I think this is probably done by, done by HBO now. I think, you know, the, the, the docu-sports season has, you know, there's been some successes, some failures. I think there were the big success of probably Drive to Survive, which follows yeah. Formula One. And I think with Hard Knocks with the existing brand, they're probably hoping that they can get a bit more attention and an easy, you know, uh, probably subscriptions for HBO Max. 
to be uh, fair, they'll by, need to because Hard Knocks itself this year was boring as shit and yeah. has been for a few years now. This has not been compelling. I think it's one of those things where, you know, no team wants to be exciting on Hard Knocks. And mm. obviously with the level of media training and such that people are aware of these days and with the growth of social media as well, you know, players and coaches and organizations are just, I feel a lot better prepared to not like let things through that they don't want to get through. We know that I believe they have a great degree of control over what HBO are actually able to show as well. All, all, all I'm saying is to enjoy Hard Knocks, bring back Ocho Cinco telling coaches that he's got run away from cop speed so they don't need to worry about him getting caught. Like, <laughs> And yeah, like, look, like if, if Wentz is, is still playing at that point, then like, that's an interesting enough story. Like, you know, like, yeah, but I'm not, I don't have huge hopes for it, but I'll probably end up watching it. And uh, Sean, Frank Gore, uh, the old Inconvenient Truth uh, himself, is planning to become a boxer. He said in response to if he was looking for running back jobs and he wasn't and he's actually just going to be a boxer now. I presume this is going to be in the vein of there's a few of them that are basically doing decent money kind of show fights against YouTube celebrities and and, and ex-UFC fighters and stuff like that. I imagine it's down that route. Yeah, I I fully expect he'll he'll join in the celebrity boxing thing that has taken off and be fighting Conor McGregor for too long. Of course, only to set up his grand return to the NFL for another 10 seasons of being a running back, which I'm sure is his long-term goal. He's like a guy from prison, you know, he's not going to be able to stay outside for too long. He's too institutionalized in the NFL. He'll be back (laughs) for too long. That's true, that's true. And on that uh, lovely positive note, we'll move and have a look at the games from last week. So, first up, we have Kansas City at Baltimore. Uh, God, we have to start with this. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, 36-35, an absolute heartbreaker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Lamar, after a slow start, really turned it on in the second half. 239 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions passing, and 100 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. The second half of this game and how they came out at that point was great. The Kansas City defense initially looked great, Terry Matthew getting two picks, but then... The, 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 the defense weren't really able to have any response to the run game that was coming out of Baltimore. They just started to get their swagger going. Uh, Kansas City had a fumble at the end of the third quarter from Mahomes and then the Clyde Edwards Hilaire popped out a fumble in the dying minutes of the game when they were down by one point in field goal range already, which was quite irritating. Yeah, Pat Mahomes looked like Pat Mahomes, 340 yards, three touchdowns and interception. The defense didn't really look up to much at all, which was a a bit of a concern I'd say moving forward and that said this is as I say presumably the best or one of the best rushing attacks in the league and that is obviously a weakness that the Chiefs knew they had coming into it so I wouldn't kind of full DEFCON start looking to sign 12 new players or whatever but it is a concern when their calling card has been if you want to come to a track meet come to a track meet but we'll win and then they're failing to to win a track meet where they had two interceptions in the first half one of which was a pick six yeah i am starting to get 2018 chiefs vibes off this team a little bit where the the offense is still explosive and dynamic and will score a million points but their defense is just not up to that standard i think especially the run defense i mean it's not just the ravens and admittedly the ravens have the best run attack in the league it was last week as well against the browns they struggled and it's not a good sign when teams are, know what to exploit in your weakness the one thing that you had against the chiefs is that they had no visible weaknesses so teams didn't know what to exploit once teams figure out a thing to do they're going to keep doing it also in red zone apparently they have a very very bad red zone defensive record they've conceded something like 80 percent touchdowns from the 
red zone this season and last season. So that's not great. I still expect the Chiefs to be obviously at the top end come the end of the season, but I would worry about that defense if they don't get help. They could struggle, especially against run-heavy teams in the playoffs or teams targeting that by mm-hmm. developing kind of elaborate run schemes. I mean, in terms of the Ravens, I mean, it's it's getting over the hump. I think I believe this is the first time that Lamar has managed to beat the Chiefs after, after three defeats. Yeah. Uh, in essence, it probably could have been a little bit easier. I mean, Lamar's running was fantastic, but if only he could read the game or, you know, pass the ball half as well as he runs, this Ravens team would be terrifying. I mean, the run game was impressive given the fact that it's an entirely new running back cohort, none of whom have played together before, none of whom have played in the scheme before within two weeks to be to be at this level. And I also think the defense did okay. They have to do the thing you do against the Chiefs, which is to compromise, right? You can't stop everything, so you have to focus on what to, to take out. So they, they did a good job. Tyreek Hill was restricted to basically nothing. I think two catches for not a whole lot. Travis Kelsey had a couple of nice passes, but not quite to his own level. And ultimately, Mahomes was going to some of the secondary receivers in order to get things done. But even still, the Chiefs scored 35 points. So for the Ravens, kind of good to bounce back from a week one defeat that in retrospect may not have been as bad as it looked um, at the time. For KC, the, the, the shine of invincibility, I think, has come off just a tiny little bit. And it'll be interesting to see how they go from this point on. I think this game was probably more important for Baltimore Obviously, given week one, obviously, given some of their playoff struggles over the last few years, we kind of know who KC are, um, and and, but we know that Baltimore can have that ability to move to the next step. I think, ironically, they probably took that next step by reverting to type. Like, they just did not shy away from using Lamar Jackson as a runner. They weren't afraid to kind of bring out the, uh, I don't want to say old school, but the, the methods that worked from last year. Because Kansas City wasn't able to stop it. And why would you stop using something that works if that's the case? And look, obviously, we all want Lamar to turn into a better passer and become more efficient. But as I said last week, it's a bit like Cam Newton with Carolina back in the day. You know, it's just, you just have to lean into what he is. He's a special player. And I think, you know, he had a huge moment in this game where, you know, with, with, with a fourth and one, you know, he basically called his own number alongside John Harbaugh. And he was willing, and Harbaugh was willing to trust his quarterback, and he took the ball and he did, and he just ran it through and won this game for the Ravens. For the Chiefs, like, like you know, obviously it's disappointing to lose a game and this is obviously someone where seeding could definitely matter and the AFC West is looking pretty spicy right now. But you were really, you, you could have easily won this game and you probably should have won this game. So I wouldn't be hitting the panic stations right now. I think this is much more about the Baltimore uh, asserting that they are deserve to be the top table of the AFC and that Kansas City just need to, you know, iron out the issues, get rid of the small mistakes that they made, take better advantages of the kind of interceptions that they were given early mm. on, you know, turning the screw when they're ahead. I expect Kansas City to keep getting better. I think for Baltimore, though, the straight to, to, to get this chip back on course and make sure they stay competitive in the AFC North, that's a huge win for them. No, of course. Next up, Dallas at the LA Chargers, twenty to seventeen. Greg the Leg gets a fifty-six yard walk-off field goal after being pretty crap last game. Herbert had a good day, three thirty-eight and a touchdown with two interceptions. A lot of like mistakes, a lot of like impressive passes, but then also like just misreading coverages or kind of rookie mistakes, thinking he can put a ball in spaces where he couldn't. But some absolutely huge big plays, and there's a lot of pushback for Chargers fans on the rest in this thinking that they were getting kind of a little bit of unfair calls sometimes in it Dallas got back to running the ball properly again interesting though they kind of 
running back by committee they kind of split almost evenly between Pollard and, and Zeke each getting about 100 yards Dak 237 yards and a touchdown. They didn't really get up to much in the passing game. Parsons is stepping in at defensive end for them because they've had injuries at that position. They did pretty good there. Yeah, overall, this kind of this had had the feel of kind of the almost the experience of Dak and Zeke and that kind of core versus the 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 the, the young guy kind of maybe trying to do too much. In, in a single go it was an impressive enough performance maybe not the home opener in front of the fans that they wanted in uh, Chargers Stadium there yeah look it was it, it was decent it was a good performance from Dallas that, that, that did it and a couple of costly mistakes from the Chargers I wouldn't be taking it too badly look like this is a game that there should have been a lot more points every time you watch the drive of this game it seemed like they both teams were just effortlessly moving down the field uh, but just continuous mistakes from both sides, but particularly for the Chargers, that consistently killed tries. The Chargers had two touchdowns, called back and flags. They, on their final drive, uh, they ended up settling for a field goal because uh, the Chargers, like the refs gave like a call for a sack that probably wasn't a sack because he did throw the ball with good velocity. And like, look, Justin Herbert, those two picks obviously aren't great. He threw a bad pick last week as well in their win. One of them, to be fair, was because Keenan Allen fell down. You can't really account for that. The other was probably just a bad mistake. But so many amazing throws wasted on penalties. Basically, you see Justin Herbert and you see the way he throws the ball with the velocity he has. It almost looks like more like a computer simulation of the idealized, platonic ideal of how a football should move. Just purely on a string to the receiver with the kind of velocity that you just don't see. I think he, he may very well may have the strongest arm in the NFL. He may not have like the flexibility of like someone like Mahomes to kind of throw from any angle, but when he is cocked and ready, there is no stopping him, except obviously through charging of getting penalties and stuff like that. So for Herbert, I'm not really worried. I actually kind of think that the statistics underplay how good he's been in the first two weeks, and he just needs to cut out that one or two boneheaded mistakes per game. And he could truly... I think he's just waiting to go off on some team and to absolutely annihilate them. But hopefully, in kind of, it's not next week, but uh, certainly soon enough in the future. I wouldn't worry too much about them. I would worry some about the porous run defense of the Chargers. Because like Dallas, like their line is still a bit banged up. So, But they just seem to have something going now where, where the run game just kind of ran through the Chargers at will. You know, with both Zeke doing pretty well, he was pretty efficient. But Pollard really getting to the edge far too easily... And then racking over a hundred yards, like he just seemed to be able to get out into free space whenever he wanted. And the Dallas, like they were able to kind of control the clock and do what they want. They ended up not really scoring as many points as they should have based on that domination. But that, to a large extent, because the Chargers were having so many long drives of their own that weren't going anywhere in the end or settling for field goals. So for them, I think it's great to see the run game going because that means Dak Prescott isn't going to be forced to pass for fifty or sixty tries a game. We know that's a big issue, but. You know, when we talk about the Chargers for six and the Blacks and stuff like that, we, we do have to mention at the end of this game, like, the Dallas Cowboys go in uh, with about four minutes left, and that was their final drive, and yet they somehow end up settling for a, I think it was actually, look, it was a 57-yard field goal or something like that. Something ridiculous, where you're like, how the hell did they only like get, like, 30 yards in, like, four minutes? Obviously, they ran the ball really well, but basically, a large part of it was because Mike McCarthy didn't throw, uh, didn't, didn't, give, didn't take a timeout with his last, basically, like, 40 seconds. He just, like, let the clock run down. He said after the game, oh, I couldn't see the clock and neither could Kellen Moore. And it was just a miscommunication. And you're kind of going, like, look, Mike McCarthy, in, especially in his latter years in Green Bay, had a bit of a reputation for not having the, uh, on top of things and really having the sharpest 
like attention to detail in both pre and during games. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely a bit of an issue there that the Cowboys did make their lives a lot more difficult here. I don't have any bailed out by Greg Zerline, who, let's not forget, missed quite a few kicks last week. Um, so in this case, in a game where both teams seemed to go out of their way almost to make their lives more difficult than they needed, Dallas just made their lives a, a little bit easier than the Chargers. Got a little at like less than 100 yards in terms of penalty yards. It's always a good start. Mm-hmm. And they managed to squeak this game. But I'm not worried about either of these two teams. I think they're both really effective, very fun football teams to watch. I mean, I, I do want to say I think you're being a little bit harsh on, on Herbert. I mean, I thought he was amazing. I, I thought he was really demonstrating his talent and demonstrating how much better he is than the actual team that he's playing for. I mean, Romo at one point compared him to Mahomes, and honestly, it doesn't feel that far off. I think he is that level of talent. The problem is Mahomes has a much better team around him. I mean, there were so many times in this game where he did something amazing, like some incredible pass or something, and then it got chalked off because of some stupid penalty. And it wasn't, there were actually stupid penalties as well. It wasn't like, kind of like lineman holding, which would be kind of a sign that the offensive line is struggling or something. It was like, it was illegal shifts. It, it was tight ends kind of going offside and stuff. It was the kind of stuff that shouldn't be happening. It was Chargers going to charge kind of stuff that that really cost him. And, and I'm with Herbert, I'm like, the talent is there and I'm going to be excited to see how his career develops. But I do, there's a part of my mind that is worrying he's going to turn into Philip Rivers 2.0 where there's clear talent and everyone talks about him as being one of the best QBs in the game, but he gets nowhere near a Super Bowl because the team around him just isn't uh, good enough. There's some good pieces in terms of the skill positions. Eckler, for example, is, is, does, does his bit, but they need a lot more help in order to, to re- help this guy realize his ability. And in terms of the Cowboys, I mean, it, it, they might actually be good this year, which is a very strange position to be in. I've kind of gotten used to them being just slightly worse than Troy Aikman hopes that they were. Um, <laughs> and that, that was kind of my, my, you know, my reassuring thing. This, the game coming up next week, uh, at, at the Eagles is, is huge because we actually have two good teams in the NFC East and it's, it's good to see which one's better. Wait, wait, John, are um, you so- excited for an NFC East game? I am for the first time in recorded memory. <laughs> They've got him. I've actually been They've like, I want to watch this game. I want to watch. Yeah, the, the the marketing has finally got me after after all these years. Um, but yeah, no, I think the Cowboys look good, and if they keep this up, they they will be a playoff team, oh. which is uh, and not just because they win a terrible division, but they might actually have a, a a decent record at the end of it as well if they keep it up. Uh, Minnesota at Arizona, thirty-three to thirty-four. Greg Joseph missed a thirty-seven-yard field goal, hard right, to mean that Minnesota lose in what was quite a fun game. Minnesota's about 14 points because of a couple of coverage busts. Cook, uh, he got injured and then came off the field and then came back on the field and played well, but then was kind of hopping off every once or twice with that injury being re-aggravated. Still at 150 yards and was enough to kind of carry Kirk Cousins. I think I was texting during this game. I think it was, yeah, they were in the fourth quarter. They were down by a couple of points. There was third and, third and eight and he was throwing kind of like four-yard hooks like Kirk Cousins and throwing three three yards short of the sticks on third or fourth down are just such an iconic couple. Kyler had a big day, four thirty yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, a couple of mistakes mixed in there, but um a lot of a lot of really really fun ones. And Rondell Moore being a bit of a standout, one hundred and fourteen yards and and a touchdown. This was a game that had no right to be quite as enjoyable as it was, and was significantly more uh, fireworksy in the first half than it was in the second half. But uh, I guess it means that we know that Arizona are going to be a winning team this year because Minnesota lost them. 
I think you're being, firstly, I think you are being a little bit harsh to, to Cousins. I mean, I know it, it's normal in this podcast and in NFL fandom in general to to beat on the guy. I think he had a pretty good game. I thought he, he did what was asked of him and he did it in an efficient way. And I, I thought he got the ball down the field and no mistakes. I mean, 244 and three touchdowns, something like that was very good. I mean, it showed what I think the Vikings, why they put so much into into getting him is he shows he's capable of doing this every once in a while but the problem with Cousins he's absolutely zero consistency he, he won't reach this level again for another three or four weeks I thought the Vikings as well also their defense was starting to get the hang of the Cardinals by the end at the start of it they were being run ragged by by Kyler and uh, and Hopkins but they they really got into it and I think had the, there been five quarters as it were I think the Vikings would have won comfortably, but that kick, oh my God, that was just a bad, bad miss. Um, and I actually think someone in the NFL highlights is trolling the Vikings because after last week not showing the Cincinnati winning kick at the end of the highlights, this time they've shown this miss twice. That if you watch the YouTube uh, highlights, <laughs> the NFL game, they show the miss kick twice over. So someone, someone in NFL highlights is, has it in for the Vikings for sure. Not the only historically awful this field goal for Vikings fans. Yeah, I would not want to be a Vikings fan. It, it seems like not not a great choice in life, and certainly you should consider moving uh, and supporting someone else. Uh, and the Cardinals, I mean, yeah, they look pretty good. I don't know if I get behind the hype train quite yet. I mean. They've, they've beaten two goodish teams, but have they really beaten an elite team? Mm-hmm. Kyler is playing at a very high level. Uh, it's weird to watch them play because it kind of feels sometimes that they're, they have no offensive schemes, that they just don't have plays. They just decide to just do whatever works in the situation. It's a bit chaotic, which means I think errors are going to be part of it. I think he threw a couple of bad interceptions in this game, but I think that's kind of normal. You expect that because of the way he plays, but the upside is worth it because of what he's capable um, of doing. So yeah, I'm not, I'm about 80% convinced the Cardinals are a good team. I'm not quite 100% there as yet. As, as for the Vikings, yeah, I mean, I think they might squeak to a winning record if they get their actual winning games that they should be winning thing working out. They're not as bad a team or as uninteresting a team as I thought at the start of the season, so I might give them a few more chances after this. Yeah, and I think it's worth emphasizing how like mad this Arizona team is. Like, Obviously, we saw last week in Tennessee that oh, maybe this old man defense can, can do something. And this week they didn't really do much. Like they basically had a busted coverage on, I think it was either the first or second play of the game, give, leading to a long touchdown for Osborne. And, you know, they, they just overall were were very sketchy. Also, I just think like Cook being forced to run again and again and again, despite the fact that he was obviously, you know, in a lot of pain, uh, is indicative of how reliant this team is on him. Uh, and, they're not really ready for Alexander Madison. But, like, look, like, I think for Arizona, like, Kyler Murray is the most exciting quarterback in the NFL right now, even more so than Patrick Mahomes, because he has a, he has a degree of unpredictability that you basically, no one else was playing the game of football like him. Basically, he has those, like, Russell Wilson run at the back, run around, do stuff, you know, like, you know, just, and then do ridiculous throws. He has almost Lamar Jackson levels of, rushing and kind of like you know jigging his way through the entire defense um he has the arm that's equivalent to some of the best players qbs in the league you know like maybe a little bit like mar maybe he should spend a little bit more time working on the fundamentals because you know two picks he threw here could have been very very costly obviously a pick six and then another interception late in this game 
and then nearly let minutes out away with it. But overall, the things when he, he makes things happen, when he's in the pocket for, well, when he's waiting like over five to ten, like, like five seconds to make a throw, something which doesn't really happen in the NFL because how athletic the defenses are. Uh, and you saw that Rondell Moore was the beneficiary of, of so many of those. He was just waiting down there, like 50 yards down the field in completely empty space and then Kyler Murray would run around long enough to catch him. And Rondell Moore himself is an explosive player who just seemed to kind of quickly get out of his blocks and then absolutely destroy teams and no chance of getting caught there. So, yeah, I think for Minnesota, you know, heartbreak again through the through the kicking game. But for Arizona, yeah, a bit like Sean, I'm not quite ready to, to, to crown them as like the best team in the NFC, but they're probably the most exciting team in the NFC. And uh, that means that they're good watching every Sunday. We had uh, Tennessee at Seattle went to overtime 33-30. to King Henry, basically Tennessee decided, oh, I wonder if we just let him do what he does, could we do well? So in the second half of this game, they let him loose, 237 yards, three touchdowns, absolutely dominates the Seahawks defense to try and eradicate. They were, I think they were down by about 15 points at the half. Seattle got some kind of lucky calls, the Julio touchdown being overturned because there wasn't enough green space between his heel or something. Didn't really, <laughs> didn't really swing with me. The non-safety of what should have probably been a safety. Russell was a good 343 and two touchdowns. He was still, you know, getting a lot done. There was a huge amount of just Lockett sitting downfield and no one covering him, which like, I think people are going to need to start doing if they don't want to have these games go so late. But um, yeah, just it was bad second half from them. They had no response to the run game from Tennessee. And it's a, it's a bad loss. It's kind of, it's, it's just means they now know what they need to focus in on because this is a team who they would expect they have to be able to beat this type of run game if they are to kind of go any distance this year. This is a really bad loss for the Seahawks. Not because they like they deserve to win. Like This is one of those games that they both deserve to win and lose. They had a 15-point lead. The explosiveness that they showed in the first half means that they obviously could have picked more on this defense, but it's seemingly due to kind of peak car conservatism they decided not to. But objectively, Tennessee had a crap ton of production in the second half and I think easily outgained Seattle in the end by around 100-200 yards so look like from that perspective it's not the worst loss but when you get the you know the, the turns of luck for you when you get the overturned Julio touchdown because you know you have to get your whole like if your foot goes down in one movement then you can't toe tap or something I don't know, something dumb like that. Yeah, that uh, was pretty much it, yeah. If he, if, yeah. If, he, if, he, if he had landed on his on, on the ball of his foot, that would just count even though the rest of the foot came down because it came down at the same time. And I still think the foot was in. Like, Yeah, and if he was falling forward, it would be different as well. Like, I don't know, it's a bit... It's one of those weird NFL things that I'm sure they'll probably sort out at some point. The, like, Russell Wilson was sacked for his safety in overtime. The game should have ended then. We should have walked on safety. But they, you know, they got the ball and they, they they kicked it away and they lost anyway. So from that sense, justice was done in overtime. But I think for Seattle, the biggest issue is just that sense that you know Pete Carroll throughout his entire tenure in the Seahawks has almost seemed to invite these types of close games. So rarely do they go out of their way and continue to use what works and continue to be aggressive and rack up leads and you know leave Tennessee in the dust. Because I think Tennessee's defense, we saw it last week, we saw it this week isn't the greatest. They were definitely better in the second half, but the, the Seahawks were definitely playing conservatively. Um, they definitely, uh, you know, they just didn't seem to be willing to, you know, uh, pa- like just have the kind of passes to the running backs, passing to the tight ends. They just were like, we either run the ball or we take a deep shot. And that's basically reverting to last year's playbook. 
which we know was figured out by the end by most teams. And so it's just, and they weren't willing to go for it in fourth and short several times. Yeah, they were just playing very conservatively and within themselves. You know, I thought when they got the, the touchdown to kind of return it to a 15 point lead in the second half, that was what would end the game. But then Derek Henry had, uh, you know, a 70 yard touchdown. And I think the, like one of the biggest things, and like if you're going to play that kind of game, you need your defense to step up. Those are the type of plays you can't afford to have if you're planning to use a bend, don't break type defense. And I think, you know, the replay on that showed that Jamal Adams was very, very aggressive. He sliced through to the backfield, but missed Eric Henry. And that left less guys in the backfield to just, like, keep Henry at least somewhat bottled in. And then, you know, he basically swatted a bunch of defensive backs. And I ran a bunch of defensive backs like he, you know, they were children, which they all do look compared to him, to be fair. So for Tennessee, like, look, I think this was a really important win considering that what happened last week. I think, you know, the King Henry strategy works so probably stick with it and look Tannehill has been a bit underwhelming but I don't think he's a huge problem and the fact that Julio had a big game despite the overturned touchdown is a good sign for them I think Tennessee are one of those teams that maybe have been a bit slow the rampant in the season but I expect that with the morale boost from this that they can kick on and more closer to the team that we expected to be in the preseason but for look Seattle in the NFC West one and one puts you dead last so uh, this could be a very costly loss when you're giving those bits of luck that mean that you could have easily won this game. Yeah, not not a lot to add from from what Fitz said there. I mean, I think it is a big win for the Titans. Their season was very close to falling off the rails, and even though they're not in the strongest division in the world, you don't want to you don't want to lose a kind of you don't want to just not have momentum, and and they could have gotten themselves into into a bad place. Yeah, just use Henry. I mean, it sounds like such a, an obvious thing, but it's taken them a game and a half to realize that just giving <laughs> the ball to the the best running back in the game will get you lots of points. Uh, and maybe this will be when the start with the Titans stop trying to, to do other things on offense and focus um, around Henry. Uh, otherwise, yeah, just the, the two weird calls kind of threw me off. That, that Julio Jones thing is, it does seem to be like just a, one of those weird loopholes in the rule that no one ever thought about until it actually popped up that I guess wide receivers have to learn to swivel around and fall forwards when falling out of the end zone rather than falling backwards so that the, the heel issue doesn't come into it. Also, yeah, that was a safety, and the refs denied us the joy of watching a game end on a safety, which we haven't seen uh, in quite a while. The pro Seahawk agenda of the refs, again, blatant uh, all around. Shocking uh, stuff. And we can only, only hope something is done about it in the future. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're going to start speeding up now on the next couple of games. Rams at Indianapolis, 27-24. He showed some good fighting spirit here, uh, but they weren't very efficient in the red zone. They had a small lead, but then Stafford started realizing the cup worked for him quite well as a receiver through two touchdowns, his direction. And there was no real coming back at that point. Wentz tried to fight back, but he got injured. As mentioned in the news, Easton came in and threw a pick directly to Ramsey. So yeah, like I look at this as Indianapolis needs some work, but we're expecting that the Rams looks an awful lot more vulnerable than I was expecting them to in this game. I think for Indianapolis, this was a lost opportunity. I think, you know, they showed a lot of uh, gumption after what happened last week where they kind of just fell apart later in the game against the Seahawks. And I think you saw Carson Wentz before the injury is that he is really, really trying. You can see that this is someone who is really trying to do as much as he can with his body for his team. That's despite the fact the offensive line is still a bit civvy. Uh, and even, you know, like even... In the middle, like Aaron Donald got the best of the, you know, Pro Bowl battle there. Uh, so that's a bit of, you know, that that's the worst thing that can happen. So I think for Wentz, like get, getting injured just seemed to be inevitable, given how many times he's getting hit this week and even last week. And But he certainly wasn't the problem with this team. I think, you know, you expect this team to be able to run the ball. They got Jonathan Taylor. 
They got that good interior. I know it's up against Aaron Donald and a pretty good defensive line, but the fact that they couldn't get the run game going at all in this game, it really did leave them in a bit of a hole, and they did well to even fight back to, to basically be ahead of this game late. And the defense, which has generally been fairly well regarded in recent years, hasn't really been up to the task, because late on, like, you know, Stafford seemed to be able to find Cooper Cup at will. Like, he just got huge chunks of of yards and multiple touchdowns with Cup. And, you know, when there's a single player doing that to you, you expect to be able to make adjustments, and the defense on the Indianapolis side just wasn't able to do it. And, yeah, like the Rams, I think for the second week in a row, I think like Sean talked last week that they didn't quite impress him. They didn't really impress me too much this week again. But, like, look, you get these games, you win these games, and then you save your best stuff for when uh, things are going. And there's no doubt that Matthew Stafford is a much more reliable and much more explosive quarterback um, than Jared Goff is. The fact that he doesn't make as many dumb, dumb mistakes and that he's able to throw a ball when there's a bit of pressure in his face, that's such a huge difference for them compared to previous years. Mm. Um, so despite the slight underwhelmingness of them in the first two weeks, they're 2-0 and and I don't expect them to really collapse anytime soon. Vegas at Pittsburgh, 26-17. This vaulted Pittsburgh defence that really surprised the Bills last week came back down to earth. Derek Carr looked good, 380 and two touchdowns. Ruggs did well, over 100 and a touchdown. Waller, 65. It was uh, it was interesting because I think the, the running back was out, wasn't he? he, he, he didn't Josh play. Jacobs was yeah. out, so they were Jacobs lying on Kenyon so Drake, Kenyan Drake for the whole game. The Pittsburgh offensive line was basically kind of what we were expecting. Big Ben looked a lot of trouble, a lot of flustered. He did get decent yardage, 295, a touchdown, an interception, but like, yeah, it wasn't much. The rushing game with Harris didn't do a huge amount, I think 38 rushing. Like, Pittsburgh need one their defense to be playing at a top top level to stay in games but they're just adding fuel to the fire that this has to be Ben's last year because this offense is going nowhere I'll get on to the Steelers in a bit I think the, the important the headline here is what about those Raiders eh? I mean who would have thought that year four of Gruden ball was when the master plan would finally come together <laughs> and this team would start to look good I mean this is two good wins over two good teams they mm-hmm. they have beaten two of the the better teams in the AFC, they they put a, a notice out that they are for real this year. The question, I guess, is how they can keep it up. I mean, Derek Carr is playing uh, a lot better than anyone ever thought he was capable of. I mean, I guess the question with Carr is always consistency and how long he can keep it up. Um, it's good to see the ball being spread around, that they're not being so reliant on, on Waller anymore, Ruggs and Edwards being used. Ruggs is not quite... Living, I mean, he's still the deep threat, but not as often as perhaps you'd like from from, a, from an elite wide receiver. So I think he's still got a way to go. Perhaps the biggest news for the Raiders is their defense is really stepping up. Very aggressive. The the defensive line kind of crushed the, the Steelers' offensive line in this game. Their front seven looks looks quite good, and they're, they're playing a very aggressive style, which allows them to maximize themselves. As I said last week, I'm still not convinced about the secondary, but thankfully for them, the Steelers didn't really have a passing game to speak of so that they they weren't challenged too much. In terms of the Steelers, yeah, I mean, Big Ben is in decline. There's no way to get around from that. He's got no mobility anymore, which was quite a big part of his game in terms of kind of extending plays and such like. He's hampered by the fact that this this offensive line kind of isn't quite together yet, so they're causing lots of problems. There's a lot of pressures. He really didn't have the, the kind of time an old man will need to kind of collect himself before making the throws that he needs to make. The lack of an offensive line kind of also means the run game hasn't quite got going yet. There are flashes from Najee Harris, but nothing quite there. I mean, the Steelers' offense, someone, 
Uh, it's been pointed out that the Steelers have now scored something like uh, 16 and a half points per game in terms of their two games from offense, which is obviously quite a terrible return. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to score an awful lot more points regardless of how good their defense is if they want to consistently win games. Their defense was not quite at the level of the, the Bills last week. And I do think TJ Watt out hurts them. Their pass rush basically collapsed as soon as he was on the field and the Raiders scored the touchdown that ended up kind of deciding the game. So yeah, for the Raiders, this, the only way is up. And it's, I mean, it's an exciting place to be uh, if you're a Raiders fan for the Steelers. I mean, yeah, they're, they're looking at third and possibly even fourth place in the, in the AFC North if they don't solve an awful lot of problems and some of those problems I think are not solvable i.e. their quarterback is over the hill and is going to only get worse as the season goes on yeah next up Cincinnati at Chicago 17-20 to Burrow tried to bring them back in this game but unfortunately had a string of three consecutive interceptions including a pick six to stop any chance of them making their way back still at 200 yards and two touchdowns the Cincinnati defense looked surprisingly good here uh, three sacks and interception and a fumble recovery they stifled Dalton and Fields when he came in after after Dalton was gone there was only 60 yards and interception and 31 on the ground so that's very good Fields obviously likely going to be the starter for them next year which a lot of fans would be happy about Cincinnati fans can't be overly happy with how the tail end of that game went Although it must feel good to go on the road to a Chicago team whose defense is playing quite good and to be able to run it that close. It's just sickening to think like that you have three, you have your defense step up and your franchise quarterback throws three interceptions and a half. It's a, it's, it's a tired pill to swallow, Ronan. It just kind of feels like Cincinnati, after winning last week in a close game, you're kind of like, this is a very winnable game for them. Yeah, they blew it. Joe Burrow doesn't quite look the same. They weren't really going deep until... They were in uh, desperation mode late in this game. Uh, he got hit a lot in this game. And they're obviously trying to balance that out by running Mixon a lot. Like he had 20 rushes but only had 70 yards on those. So they are trying to have more balance. They've explicitly talked about that. They want to run the ball with Mixon, you know, bring people into the box and then unleash the kind of play action game from Burrow. But right now people don't respect Mixon and uh, for, for good reason. Like he had a decent game last week but... And uh, he's definitely winning through volume, not explosiveness at the moment. So, and uh, maybe like it's just because the offensive line just hasn't been invested enough yet, and it's just not quite an elite unit at the moment. And against a, a front that's pretty good with Chicago, so I think for Cincinnati this was a a big loss, definitely a big uh, morale loss uh, for them. And we'll see if they can sort out some of these issues going the season on because we know what happened last year when they couldn't protect Burrow. And if they revert to having to use Mixon a lot, they're going to end up lots of shootouts anyway because they're going to be behind like they were in this game and end up relying on Burrow anyway. So for for, for Chicago, look, this was a, a very ugly win, which I suppose Chicago fans are used to. Historically, they've been okay with that. But yeah, I think Dalton was stifled. He didn't get a touchdown, but was otherwise pretty quiet. And feels like, look, I think the numbers are worse than he actually was. He had like a like a complete benefited touchdown thrown to Allen Robinson that he just dropped for some reason. That would have made his numbers look a lot better. And there was a couple of times when he, he ran on the, when he was running, that he reached the edge where you're kind of going, how the hell did he do that? Um, so he does have those special talents. He looks accurate. He looks special with his legs. Um, I think just being thrown into this situation against the Cincinnati defense that seems to have improved was just a, you know, a tough enough aspect for him. But I expect that based on what I saw, continue to put him out there and let him, you know, actually energize his team and give them something more to cheer for than simply winning because you got pick sixes and had another ugly 
you know, everyone scores 20 or less points game. The final one in our medium kind of tier games, uh, New York Giants at Washington. Another uh, NFC East game. These, these are cropping up all over. So I'll come to you, Sean, on this one. 30-29. to 29. New York Giants blow several chances to win late in this one. It was a... Like Slayton dropped three and out interception, flag on a missed field goal. Danny Dimes did good work, but you know, just didn't quite get there. 249 yards, a touchdown. But the red zone was a massive issue for them. Tyler Heineke looked fine, 336 and two touchdowns and interception. That scary Terry putting up over 100 as always. The Washington, the defense, which was meant to be, you know, the whatever, the sweaty boys or whatever, the, whatever the term that they had come up for themselves, because they're yeah, young and sweaty, I think is what they're calling themselves. That hasn't really shown up in the way like this is a New York team that you would not be allowing to score like in the upper 20s on you if you're a, a halfway decent defense, you would expect and the run game hasn't really looked that strong either. Are these two teams that can turn elements around and become competitive or are these already looking like two also-rans in this division. I mean, I think with the Giants, the, yeah, also-ran is, is, is the, the term to be used. The, the Washington, I mean, the, they should have potential. The, their defense should be a lot better than what they've shown. I'm really disappointed with the Washington defense in this game. They were, there's something, they've lost something from last year. They're not quite as explosive as they were. They were up against one of the worst defensive lines in the game in this, in this, partic- in this particular matchup, and they didn't really do all that much whatsoever on the other side i mean i think heineke is he's decent you know he's not a game changer he had a bit of a slow start but he got into it after a while i mean i think that the problem that washington have is that the division isn't a cakewalk this year they are two pretty decent teams in it so they'll struggle to get past the cowboys and the eagles the giants though i think there's a long way for them to, to be coming back i mean jones i think is improving a little bit we saw his potential again he is capable of doing good things in terms of fancy throws and such like. And he's I, I'm kind of trying to avoid the stupid errors. I suspect the play callers are giving him more conservative things to do, especially in terms of his kind of runs and stuff to try and make him stop fumbling the ball all the time. But otherwise, you'd wonder where the, the Giants offense is going to come from. Saquon was basically a non-factor in this game. I don't think he's fully back to fitness and you'd wonder if he's ever going to get back to the explosiveness as before. So, I mean, there are a lot of, there's a lot more question marks over the Giants than there are over Washington. They still have an amazing kicker though. Gano was kicking like God in this game. Mm. And as long as he keeps that up, they'll be competitive. But yeah, neither of these teams looks particularly good. Neither side particularly deserve to win this game. And I don't think I expect to see either of them in the playoffs at the end of the season. No, of course. And then uh, what we'll do is we'll go back to the first time of the season. We're going to fits to go through all the other games in what we're calling the dump off. All right, welcome to the dump off. We're bringing this back from late last season because uh, there's a lot of bad team games already. <laughs> we'll see how these teams actually get on. Uh, so first up, we have San Francisco at the Eagles, 17 to 11. Philadelphia pay dearly for a lot of inefficiency early on. They had, a, in particular, a goal line stand where they just seemed to make mistake after mistake. I think ended up in a aborted Philly special uh, recreation. I think Jalen Hurts is too athletic to get away with just kind of being ignored like Nick Foles is, so maybe getting rid of that. But like, look, San Francisco, they ground this game out. Like, Jimmy G didn't really do anything in the first half and ended up with less than 200 yards and only a single touchdown. And the run game was pretty much stuck with 3.1 per carry. But look, they kind of kept grinding away. They got enough points and they put away a Philly team that just couldn't do that themselves, particularly in short yardage, with Nick Bosa on the defense doing a lot of work and making Jalen Hurst's life a living hell. So, look, for Philly, a very much a missed opportunity. For San Francisco, definitely doesn't get rid of the question about whether Jimmy G is the future of this team in the 2021 season. 
Houston at Cleveland, 21 to 31. A surprisingly close game, but I think Cleveland's talent showed that in the end. As you know, Baker fought through an injury he picked up when he tried to tackle someone on his own interception. Maybe don't do that. Looked like he might be gone, but seems like his arm either popped out or he had a dead arm. Uh, looked bad, but he was fine. Ended up with 200 yards, a TD and an int. And he kept the offense ticking along, long enough for Chubb to do his usual beast mode stuff in the fourth quarter and pull away the Cleveland Browns late. Tyrod looked good before he went out. He already had two touchdowns, but Mills was up and down and definitely a step down from Tyrod. But I think the main thing for Houston is that they're not a joke. And hopefully with Davis Mills, they don't utterly collapse. And uh, for Cleveland, getting that win, keeping together from the AFC North um, was a huge step for them after the uh, you know, disappointing loss to Kansas City in Week 1. Atlanta at Tampa Bay. Look, there's no other word for it. Tampa Bay were playing with their food in this game. They went up early. They were 21-10 to 10 up in the, in the, at the half. Then they had a little bit of a wobble in inverted commas, 25 to 28 when they were starting up in the fourth quarter. And then their defense is like, oh wait, we're like, this is Atlanta. Their offense is crap. And they absolutely annihilated Matt Ryan for a quarter. Ended up getting two pick sixes late in this game. So yeah, they just ended up winning. Look, Tom Brady was had five touchdowns. He's looking pretty good. And this week, Evans, Goblin, and Gronk all felt the love, all getting TDs and plenty of yards. Uh, look, Matt Ryan isn't the problem with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, despite the three interceptions that he threw, but he is fighting without a run game. He had like 55 yards, and where like Cordell Patterson's been used way more than you would like, and their defense basically doesn't exist except for like a quarter or two at a time. So, look, Tampa Bay, they are the kings of the NFC South, and Atlanta, they are in the teller. Buffalo at Miami, 35 to 0. Uh, I think Buffalo comfortably reasserted their place atop the AFC East hierarchy as they dominated uh, Miami <laughs> again after they did that in Week 17 last week where I think they uh, won with uh, Matt Barkley at the wheel. And look, Allen barely had to do anything. He had like 200 yards, two touchdowns, an interception while the run game did most of the work. Singletary had a nice run early in this game and the defense had an interception, two fumbles, six sacks, less than 200 yards allowed. They were purring against a Miami offensive line that is doing nothing Got their quarterback killed early, and Brissett didn't look like he was much more comfortable there. 169 yards and a, and a pick. Uh, Miami just looked overall quite abject. They weren't that exciting last week when they bet they'd beat New England. They looked absolutely embarrassed here against a good Buffalo team. I think we now see that week one was an aberration and that Buffalo are still the kings here. New Orleans at Carolina, 7-26. Look, Darnold is loving life right now. 300 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick, which was a little bit reminiscent of his Jets day. But hey, who cares when you got CMC? going for 137 yards all-purpose and finally getting that touchdown after being denied I think two or three times at, at the goal line uh, and his fantasy uh, manager going where are the touchdowns uh, well they came in late in this game and New Orleans look, they were in disarray they have a bunch of injuries people like Lattimore and Davenport they're missing a bunch of coaches due to COVID-19 outbreak uh, and Jameis uh, in this chaos did not rise to the occasion he reverted to type had two picks only around 100 yards and I think to a certain extent you definitely need to think he might be on the hot seat with Taysom Hill still sniffing around. And look, when your only offensive plan is throw it to Kamara behind the uh, line of scrimmage and hope he does something crazy, you're not going to have a good time. Even with Alvin Kamara, he was held to around 30-something yards. So look, I think <laughs> with New Orleans, they're going to be a wild ride all, all year with Carolina. We may be seeing the emergence of the best chance of taking down Tampa Bay, though I wouldn't bet it at the moment. New England at the Jets, 25-6. Zach Wilson, oh, he had a very Sam Darnold day. Four interceptions. Uh, I don't know if he was seeing ghosts, but he was seeing a lot of New England players come at him 
uh, with the ball from his hands. With the pressure from New England just doing a lot and it just felt like he, he just tried too many things. He was just slinging the ball up, stuff that might work in college, which just did not work at this level. And New England were more than happy to gobble up those chances. Mac Jones didn't have to do much, he only had like 200 yards or so. And Damian Harris, outside of one beast mode run, which to be fair was quite fun, didn't have to do very much. Look, when your defense is racking up all those interceptions and you know, pummeling the Jets into a fine pace. You don't need to do much. But is Mac Jones a slightly fat Alex Smith? Probably. <laughs> Denver at Jacksonville, 23 to 13. Look, Jacksonville are absolutely pathetic right now. As Teddy B put them to the sword, he's slinging the ball everywhere. And Cortland Sutton this week was the beneficiary with over a hundred, with nearly 160 yards. And look, it could have been way more. There were many other throws that were dropping. KJ Hamlin in particular. And it seems he needs to get in the same page as Teddy B. And that's without Jerry Judy, who went out last year week. So, look, Teddy B looks like he's willing to throw it up and have fun. And the defense is, you know, solid enough. Uh, Lawrence had one good drive to start and then did nothing for the rest of the game. You can see the talent there, but he's been crushed under the weight of a terrible team. Uh, where he has no defense, his run game is inadequate, and under Urban Meyer, it doesn't look like Jacksonville are going anywhere fast. So I would be seriously worried that they could be easily on the way to another one-win season. And then Detroit at Green Bay, 17-35. Rodgers woke up in the second half after a pretty close first half. He ended up having four touchdowns, and Aaron Jones uh, was the main beneficiary there. But Devontae Adams also pitched in. So, you know, Detroit, I suppose they had one good half, and they looked competitive, just like they had one good quarter against San Francisco. Now they just need to string four of those together, and maybe they'll be in a chance of winning a game. For now, their defense is pretty ramshackle and prone to massive collapses, and under golf, their offense never looks any more than serviceable. The, the offensive line does look good, so they're never a complete joke in offense, but they're just not an offense to fear. Uh, for Green Bay, uh, I don't know if this is full-on or ELAX, relax, but it's a win and that's important and we'll see if they can kick on here and actually look good against a good team going forward. Yeah, I'm sure we'll go and take a look at the games for next week. So, interestingly, we are tied after two weeks on our pick so far. Not doing fantastic across the board, basically, is uh, the approach. First up, Thursday Night Football, Carolina, Houston. Carolina surprising us with two wins. Houston surprising us by being competitive still. Sean, we've gone for Carolina across the board. Yeah, things are looking interesting for the Panthers. They've got a great coaching group. They've got a quarterback in Darnold who's starting to come out of his, his Jets trauma. They look exciting. They look interesting. And they're up against the Texans side, which has admittedly been better than we expected, but especially about Tyrod. I mean, the Texans are, just can't really win this one. I think Carolina are just are too good a team, and they will go in 3-0, and maybe people will start to talk about them and how good they are. Next up is my pick of the week. The Chargers at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board. Uh, this looks to be a very tasty matchup. Look, Chiefs being an exciting team to watch as they are. Chargers looking great, particularly with Herbert being in there. And the fact that, look, we've seen some of the holes on Casey's roster and the defense, particularly against the run game. Chargers have Austin Eckler. They were getting performance out of there. It should, it should be a very exciting one. And I could genuinely see the Chargers taking this to the Chiefs uh, and winning, particularly if the Chiefs kind of get into a bit of a funk after the loss to Baltimore but realistically at home with Pat Mahomes there with the weapons that they have and the fact that I always I always have in the heart of my heart no matter how good they get the Chargers going to charge at some point I'm, I'm taking KC in that one yeah I think it's a good test for both teams the Chargers to see what level they're at and and how competitive they can be at the top end of the AFC and for the Chiefs if the if the crisis the quote-unquote crisis is real or if they're they just had uh, a slightly slower start to the season than usual and they'll, they'll get going. But yeah, I expect the Chargers will charge and the Chiefs will win. 
it's a big test for Herbert. If he can win a game against the Chiefs in Arrowhead, then we can perhaps say the Chargers don't always charge. I think it will be a huge victory for them. And look, as we said, Herbert is reaching those levels where you see him on tape. You see someone who has, a, a, if not equivalent, close as you have to, to Battle Rooms in terms of completely ridiculous natural talent. He just needs to cut out the mistakes. And for the Chiefs, if they could be able to run the ball, and not fumble the ball, that would also be useful, then that could add a little bit of balance to their end. Whoever wins this will, even though they won't be atop the AFC West, will probably be the early favourite for it. It'd be very interesting if Chiefs lose, though, because I don't think we'll have been two games behind the top of the AFC West in years. Next up, Arizona at Jacksonville. Arizona across the board. This looks to be a very one-sided affair, given what we talked about Arizona and how Jacksonville haven't really changed. But maybe? Maybe, but probably (laughs) not. Jacksonville are, in my opinion, probably the worst team in the NFL right now. They just seem to be unprofessional in disarray and Trevor Lawrence has been asked to carry a team that's uh, just bad. Uh, Arizona on the other hand are, as we, we alluded to earlier, we're not quite ready to say they're a great team but they're definitely a fun team and against a bad defense like says Kyler Murray to rack up a lot of points. Washington at Buffalo's up next. This should be a very interesting one. Well, <laughs> Buffalo looked to have righted a lot of their wrongs against Miami last week. Seemed to be getting things back on track. Washington are now on their backup quarterback. As we said, they've got questions about whether that defense is as good as advertised, whether or not their uh, their run game can can, can get established. But I, I've got to believe at home, Buffalo, I've got to view the game against Pittsburgh more as a, as, as a surprise season opening mistake rather than indicative of a wider Buffalo collapse because they kicked the shite out of Miami last week. They got the points, but did they necessarily... I mean, Josh Allen in particular, I don't think has started the season well by the standards he set last season. So I wouldn't be quite in the Bills will be a fine camp. But yeah, I expect them to be better than Washington because Washington have lost a step from last year. As interesting as Heineke is, I mean, I don't think he's quite the, the NFL caliber elite or not elite even but but good enough to, to be winning games against a team as good as, as the buffalo bills so yeah I, i'm not i'm not sold on the bills yet but they should win this one and i think like a big thing about this game for me is actually the two defenses because buffalo's defense has come out early this season and has looked really really good probably not as good as they've looked since year one of sean mcdermott you know they they basically killed pittsburgh it wasn't their fault they lost week one and they obviously they just got a nothing burger out of miami so uh, that's a really an off a defense that's better than expected. And then for the football team, their defense is really underperformed. They've been involved in two high-scoring games, and that's despite the fact they obviously have all that talent. They have uh, Sweat, they have uh, Young, they have talent all over that defense, and yet they right now they're a bit of a disappointment. So for me, this game could easily come down to whose defense uh, ends up really putting up to it. And right now, Buffalo is the defense in form, and so that's why I give them the favor because I think Taylor Haneke. Obviously, he's not as good as Josh Allen, but he, he's been fine. I think he could be a starter level if he's given an extended period of time. But yeah, against this Buffalo yeah. defense, he could very easily have a tough time all, all day. Chicago, Cleveland. We've gone for Cleveland across the board. Look, Chicago got a win this week, but it wasn't pretty. They'll be starting the rookie. Cleveland's got a good defense, a good offense. It's hard to see past them, particularly at home. Indianapolis to Tennessee. Tennessee across the board. Yeah, look, they seem to have remembered Derek Henry's a thing. And Indianapolis, again, backup quarterback, not looking overly exciting. Yeah, it's very hard to see past Tennessee at home for me. I think that's true, but I think for Indianapolis, this is a really big game. They're obviously 0-2. This is a division rival. And if they lose this, then Tennessee will be in a really good position to basically reassert their control of the uh, AFC South. Um, So for me, Indianapolis, they've shown fight. 
at times over the first two weeks, but they've just lacked that end production. They could have easily won against the game, that game against the Rams, who we all rate as least have been a good team. So it'll be interesting if they can at least make this a tough game for Tennessee, if they can bottle up Derrick Henry, um, if they can make Tannehill life more difficult with all the offensive line issues he's dealing with at the moment, and if Easton can kind of get kind of in a clean pocket, particularly I think Indianapolis, they need to get that run game going. They have Jonathan Taylor, they have the offensive line, maybe Eric Fisher comes back, I think he's supposed to play this week, but they end up playing Julian Davenport instead based on, on the um, like uh, late, late game call. If they can just get that run game going, then I do think that they can put up a, a solid, they could be a solid team. We saw that last year and they can at least be in this game. But like, look, if, if they're missing Wentz, if the run game doesn't come back, if the defense continues to underwhelm, then yeah, Tennessee are the favorites here. But I think for Indianapolis, this game means a lot. So you never know what might happen any given Sunday when that kind of you're back against the wall and you're in a game like this against a division rival. Yeah, I don't think we can stress too much how big a game this is for the Colts. They're 0-2 after two home losses and are now facing basically their biggest divisional rival. And if they lose this, their season is basically already at looking over. So they kind of need to get this win. But I think Tennessee have realized where their strengths are and if they play to them that they should win this game. New Orleans and New England's up next. Uh, I've gone for New Orleans. Fitz and John have gone for New England. New England... I think it's more about the fact we don't really know too much about if the Saints team, what level they can play at. Are, are they a 38-3 beater of Green Bay team or are they a 26-7 loser to Carolina team? I mean, I think we there has been a little bit underplayed the fact that this team has been on the road for a month or so because of the hurricane, that they have had quite a disrupted schedule. They've obviously got a situation where they're without their Hall of Fame quarterback for the first time in, in God, must be 15, 20 years, and they're trying to, to kind of find a new way forward with a with a quarterback that you feel that Sean Payton doesn't quite trust in Jameis Winston and a quarterback he probably trusts too much in Taysom Hill. So I, I think that the Saints, there's just too many question marks over them. And I think at least until they get back to home and kind of settle back into life in New Orleans, this team is going to have an up and down situation. The Patriots have had, I mean, they're, they're not a great team, but they have the potential of being a good team. And if they continue to play that kind of conservative, don't make any mistakes approach, I think that that'll be enough to beat the Saints. Yeah, I've, I've gone for the Saints just because I think I, I, I've cast my, my dice and my chicken bones and I've decided that this week's random number generator will be an incredible performance out of James Winston. And <laughs> so we're going to have those ups and downs. He had a, he had a really bad one last week, so now he's going to have a really big one against New England. And then Bill Belichick's going to start considering bringing him in to be camp competition next year in New England for Mac Jones. Because that would be just quite funny in my head to watch James Winston try and take teaching from Bill Belichick, given he can't remember phrases his athletics trainer tells him. Okay, so next up is Ronan's pick of the week, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. For reference, me and Sean have gone for Cincy, and Fitz has gone for Pittsburgh. So the AFC North is on a knife edge. Every game, every team is one and one, and we're kind of wondering, okay, who are the contenders and who are the pretenders here? I think we're all comfortable enough to say that we think Cleveland and the Ravens will definitely be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, but but Cincinnati and Pittsburgh have shown some things to make us like them and some things to like them a lot less. On the Pittsburgh side, obviously their defense is still elite, albeit they may be without TJ Watt here. We'll see what kind of difference that makes to them in this game. But the offense is very questionable. Big Ben has a peck injury, as we mentioned earlier on, so that may limit him even more than he's already being limited. Coming off, you know, the best offseason ever, according to him. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against the Cincinnati defense, which is surprisingly improved. They've had good sacks and decent turnovers this week. So there's definitely been improvement there compared to the way they've been in previous years where it's been a bit of a joke overall, to be honest. Uh, but for Cincinnati, the offense has kind of been 
interesting. They've definitely had moments where they've exploded, especially Jamar Chase. He's been, you know, really good in those deep balls, but they've been trying to make this Joe Mixon, like run first offense work. It worked okay in week one. It worked less well in week two. Let's see if they have diminishing returns in week three again. See if they end up having to open up the playbook a bit more and just end up being more aggressive, even though Joe Burrow isn't really, shouldn't really be hit that much. But as I mentioned in the Chicago game, if you're in a hole, if you're losing the game, he's going to have to throw the ball anyway. So you might as well be aggressive early on, try and, you know, keep it a close game so that then you can mix in, mix in, and they don't know what you're doing on any given offensive down. For Pittsburgh, like, look, I think they could definitely do with running the ball more effectively, but I don't know if their offensive line will let them do that. Like, Najee Harris has looked good in pass protecting. He's looked good in terms of passing the ball, catching the ball. He doesn't look like a bad runner. He just looks like an offensive line that's giving him nothing to work with. And if they keep relying on Big Ben to throw those, like, five-yard darts every single time, he's going to get hit more. It's going to be more of a problem for them. But, look, overall, I think this is a really close game between two very flawed teams. I'm really going more for Pittsburgh just because they're at home and I terrible think terrible towels. Know, yeah, <laughs> terrible towels go in their favor. I think Mike Tomlin compared to Zach Taylor is a much better coach. And so I can see Pittsburgh grinding out a win here. But I think if Cincinnati can manage to win this game, it's a huge fill up for them. And maybe we can see them kick on and become more of a complete team because I think some of the signs we've seen Cincinnati is that they could turn into a really good team. But, uh, I don't know. I just don't trust them yet. And I just trust that Pittsburgh can win games they don't deserve to win. Yeah, I thought I'd be out, out on a limb here picking Cincy over Pittsburgh. I mean, I think the obvious pick is Pittsburgh. And I thought I was being, I was gambling a bit, being like, oh, this is the Bengals' time. Just, I think the Steelers are on the down. And this offense just does not produce anything anymore. And the longer they keep building around Roethlisberger, the, the, the less productive I think it's going to get as the season goes on. Since he are a young team dynamic, they'll be out. This is be a big scalp for them. If Pittsburgh fall behind early, then the crowd can start to get a bit restive, and that could be interesting dynamic. But I think it will be close. But my heart says to go for the Bengals, and, and I never want to to not listen to my heart. So I'm gonna go for them. Yeah, to be, to be honest, <laughs> I was I was initially going Pitt, and I thought, no, TJ Watt might not be playing. That's huge. They're missing a defensive line piece. That's huge. Since his defense stepped up in the last game, that's huge. I don't expect him to throw three picks. And like we said, Pittsburgh have scored an average of like 14 points a game or something like on offense. Even Cincinnati will outscore that. Like, And the Pittsburgh defense that's so vaulted is missing some of the pieces that make it so strong. So if they wanted to get a shot at it, this is the week to get that shot at it. Missing TJ Watt, injured Ben Roethlisberger, rookie running back not finding his way. If Cincy are going to push them off, this is the week. Next up, Baltimore at... Detroit, we've gone for Baltimore across the board. I don't think that needs much discussion. Detroit reverting to form. Baltimore looking real good. Uh, Ronan, Atlanta at the Giants. I've gone for Atlanta. You guys have gone for the Giants. Yeah, like no one wants to watch this game. I think it's important for (laughs) the Giants. Look, Danny Dines finally had a clean, good game. Let's see if he can do that two weeks in a row. If he can, then I expect the Giants to be able to get this done because their defense is pretty good. and like They're an okay team overall on, on paper. Whereas Atlanta just could look completely lost. They seem to be able to put together like maybe a quarter of talented football other than that. And like, look, maybe they can upset them because the Giants are, are not a good team and Danny Dimes could turn into have 15 turnovers. But on form, I'm willing to give Giants the favor here, but uh, it's not really something that I don't know. None of these teams are going to be relevant in a few weeks anyway. No, like I think Atlanta played well in the 
surprisingly well, particularly in the second half of the game last week. And uh, I don't see this Giants defensive line as being a two pick sixes in a quarter kind of problem for them to deal with. I could see Atlanta putting up points, but I yeah, it's a coin flip, really. I just wanted to make it slightly interesting that we have at least a pick of a difference on this one. Next up, we have Sean's pick of the week, Tampa Bay at the LA Rams. Huge one. And I'm slightly regretting my decision. I think I might swap it, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I was surprised when I came to insert my pick of the week and this one was still available because I think this is the biggest game of the week. Potentially an NFC championship game preview if the Rams keep, you know, living up to the hype or if they do begin to live up to the hype. Big game for both teams. The Rams, obviously, if they wanted to establish themselves as, as the big boys of the NFC, this, this is the target. These are the kings you have to knock off the mountain if you want to get there. Obviously, the Bucks have looked somehow even better this season than they looked at the back end of last season. Brady is is a better quarterback at 44 than 90% of quarterbacks are at 34. And he's talking about going to 50. And I'm not, not saying that's an impossibility at this point. I mean, if the man is still playing at 70 and winning Super Bowls, I honestly would not be surprised. I mean, it's an interesting test all around. Obviously, we've got the, the, the vaunted Rams defense against the, the Bucks offense that has been firing in all cylinders and put up 48 points last we can the Rams defense, which hasn't really fired full on this season, step up? Will we see kind of explosive plays from Aaron Donald and the such like? On the on the other side, how will this Tampa Bay defense, which has let up a lot of points so far this season and was more about explosive turnovers than it was about containment, how will that deal with Stafford? the Cooper Cup and, and the various connections that are being made there. So it's kind of a test for both teams. Are the Bucks really the number one dog as, as, as they are looking like, or has it just been beating up the Atlanta Falcons? And are the Rams for real? And, and what happens? Uh, can they get over the mountain? Can they beat a big team and establish themselves as a team to beat in the NFC? Should be should be a very interesting one. As we said, this is the kind of Rams are the prototypical. This is how you pressure Tom Brady, Donald coming up the middle and stuff. So look, we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. A good late slate. Uh, Miami at Vegas. We've gone for Vegas across the board. They've been playing pretty well. Miami have been playing shite and are going to have a backup quarterback in. And yeah, they're traveling across the country for it. Nothing's really happening there. Ronan Jets at Denver. We've gone for Denver. Yeah, like Denver, just gonna they're gonna have to make some pasta with all these tomato cans that are lined up for them because <laughs> it's, it's looking like another easy win for them. And Teddy B should be able to sling the ball, show off the arm some more, make Kirtland Sutton look good again. And uh, look, I think for Zach Wilson, if you could just avoid throwing a pick, then that would be a big success for him. I think for Jets, if they can just get back to stability and not embarrassing themselves, that would be a good start. But like Denver, they're not they're they're not as good as their record, but they are a solid enough out. But we know they're talented. And Teddy B isn't a bad quarterback, so it should be an easy enough win for them. Seattle, Minnesota, gone for Seattle across the board. This is one that, in theory, Seattle should win. They are a better team, but Minnesota, if Cook is Cook is cooking, I suppose, they went down to a run game last year. Now it's a very different type of run game because Henry's physical, but been, like Minnesota, in theory, could do well here. I just, I always, I, I always just pick against them anything that's close to a coin flip. Like, look, this is a bad beat off. Like, both don't take down the wrong way. But like, look, this is <laughs> this is two teams coming off bad losses. You know that that they definitely could not afford to have because of their respective places in the hierarchy of their divisions. I think Seattle. We see that their defense is questionable. We saw what Derrick Henry did to them, but we know Dalvin Cook is probably carrying something because he was like oh, basically rubbing his legs. Uh, a lot uh, during the, that game against Arizona because he just looked very worn down after week two. Like Seattle, we know what they're good at. They're good at bombing the ball deep. Minnesota have not been great at, at stopping that, to be honest. 
Um, so I expect that Tyler Lockett will continue his outrageous start to this season. It'll be interesting to see if get DK Metcalf involved more. He had a bit of a knock in the game this week. He's been a little bit quieter than expected, and the third receivers actually tend to be more explosive than him. And I think for Seattle, if they could run the ball a bit more effectively and consistently, that'll be a huge help. But like, yeah, this could be a very high-scoring game because both these teams have really struggled on the defensive side. Both these teams have managed to put up a lot of points. So uh, surprisingly, this could be a very exciting game. But I think for both these teams, really important that they get a win, get their season on track, and make sure they don't fall behind their respective, in Seattle's case, three teams and in Minnesota's Green Bay. I, I fully expect a last-minute field goal from the Vikings that will hit off both posts, then the crossbar... <laughs> And, and fall away. Uh, it's, it's escalating week after week, uh, and I think they're ready for, for the trifecta this week. Next up, Green Bay at San Francisco. I've gone for Green Bay. You boys have gone for San Francisco. This should be a very exciting game. Green Bay. Let's see. I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at it as being a. They woke up in the back half of the last game, and they've, they've they've had slow starts beforehand, and they've got all the pieces. They should be able to do very very good things against a San Francisco team that. While good, are now on their, what, 12th running back at this point? Don't really have an answer because Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing incredibly good quarterback, so maybe it's time to start looking at the other guy. Like, I think San Francisco have been good and their quality of their coaching is what's getting them to the win so far, but at the moment they feel like a team... Which is going to sound weird what I just said about Green Bay, but San Fran feel more in flux at the moment with their wins than Green Bay do with their one win. We don't, we don't probably don't fully know how good this 49ers team are. That they haven't exactly flattered so far this season, but they have won two games. They they almost threw away a big lead against the Lions and and the Eagles. They they beat a decent team, the Eagles, but without actually doing too much that's flashy. I mean, for me, the reason I'm picking the Niners over the Packers here is, as I think once the going gets tough, Aaron Rodgers may just be- mentally check out of this game. I still don't feel that he's, he's fully 100% there. And I think he's willing to beat up on crappy teams like the Lions because it's easy and he's been doing it for years. But I think he may not have the, he may not care enough about this team to actually fight in tough games. And I think this will be a tough game. And I think Shanahan will, will try and make it as tough as possible for them. And, and we've seen that this, Packers team has a soft center, and I think they will try and expose it. Philly at Dallas, finally, for Monday Night Ball. We've gone for Dallas across the board. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Dallas looked to be playing good football. The defense has been surprisingly solid, particularly given they had some injuries on the defensive line. Philly are a little bit more up in the air. They're swapping a little bit round on offense. They've got a couple of injuries. They're also traveling across country to Dallas. The Dallas are at home for this one, which is probably the big swing factor for me because I do know that these in conference games in the NFC tend to be just really bizarre shit fests. Two good teams, you know, that each of these teams will know that a victory established themselves as the big dog in the NFC East. The Cowboys are looking like a quite a good team, but don't discount the Eagles. They've had that they had a really good performance in week one against the Falcons and they, they looked pretty good against the 49ers. They probably would have won that game had they not had the momentum swing of that weird fitting special miss that allowed the Niners to kind of get back into their groove and take the game. I think it will be close. Uh, I mean, I think Dallas under under the lights on primetime can go both ways. They can step up or they can also feel the pressure of being the Cowboys on primetime with half the country watching them and praying that they don't lose. So I think it'll be interesting to see if either of these teams are for real uh, and who has the better claim to be the one good team in the NFC East because I think the NFC East should only really ever have one good team at the, mo- at the most. Having two of them is, is an insult to the grand history of this noble division. Yeah, because even though the NFC East isn't as bad as we expected, I think they've been we've been pleasantly surprised that maybe some of these primetime games won't be as uh you know shit as they have been over recent years. 
all the teams are still a bit freaky diggy. They still do dumb things. They still screw themselves over. Uh, obviously, the Giants <laughs> did a very good job of that this week. Uh, we know that they all have major holes or questions at various parts of the roster. But, like Dallas's defense has been better than expected, but it, it's still one that's playing Micah Parsons at defensive end that they don't get Demarcus Lawrence back. It's one that, you know, they have two linebackers who have been very up and down in their careers and a defensive backfield isn't great. They have Dan Quinn playing a much more simpler type of uh, defense, like the Seattle type defense. That's definitely helped them because it's like less thinking, more doing. Uh, but we do know that, you know, teams have like a decade to figure out that defense and we'll see if Philly have done that. We're obviously in Philly's side, you know, they, they've lost Brandon Graham now. They've lost Brandon Brooks. We'll, we'll see if the defense can kind of keep up the good form that's had. And look, Jalen Hurts is really hard to put a finger on right now. At his ceiling, he could be a Dak Prescott-style playmaker. He has the wheels. He's shown some of that accuracy, but he just has a bit... He just tends to fade in and out of games too much for your liking. Lot, lots of like, like lots of good explosive plays, but just moving the chain, you know, making the basic reads, and just kind of moving like Philly consistently is what they're lacking at the moment. And the run game, which really should be a strength because you have the the read option and you have the play action with with Jalen Hurts to kind of take attention away, hasn't really disappointed against San Francisco. They couldn't get those short yardage situations, get those third downs. They really need to improve that if they want to beat Dallas. But look. The form book right now is Dallas took it up to the Tampa Bay, one of the best teams in the NFL. They beat the Chargers, one of the teams we rate. So, and then Philly's achievements are a little less successful. So I think we're willing to say that the Dallas hype may be somewhat justified. Yeah, it's an interesting enough, nice, nice little slate of games. Uh, I might try and pop into, uh, to the woolshed in town and try and watch the early slate anyway. But yeah, no, uh, any, any, any plans with yourselves, lads, for the rest of the week or anything? Going home to Athlone for the, the weekend because my twin nieces are having their christening and their first birthday at the same time. Um, oh, so we get good. to get around with the family and stuff. And then we're probably going to go up, stay in Galway for a few days. So I may not be on the podcast next week, listeners, just to warn you. Mm. I may have other things to attend to. But uh, yeah, this is kind of the first big post-COVID social event family thing. So it's going to be interesting to catch up with people and stuff. Not, nothing on my end. As I said, this is the last week uh, of the big project I've been working on for the last uh, probably six months at this point. So we'll be focused on that for work. But uh, as I said, we're, when September ends, the party starts. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm doing bits of practical stuff like, got to go and look at sofas. Never realized that there are so <laughs> many different types, options, firmness, and so on. But, uh, so bits, bits and pieces like that. Yeah, we've got, we've, we've kind of a little bit up in the air on it because we don't, we don't, uh, we don't know what furniture they're leaving or taking. So we're going to have to just wait till we get the keys next Friday and be like, okay, we, don't have a sofa but we do have a half broken washing machine or whatever like it's going to be a lot of a, a, a lot of fast moving i think uh wheeler dealering at that point see see if i can remember my old salesman skills from a previous life so i suppose that'll do us for now so bye from myself bye from sean bye, bye from Rowan. bye bye